Good morning, friends. How is everybody? Good, good. It's so good to be with you. Um, we have kicked off our Lenten Easter season, and it's hard to believe, but we had a remarkable service on Ash Wednesday. It's, it's always good to get that slice of humble pie at the beginning of Lenten and Easter to remind us of how desperately we need Jesus when we think about our mortality and our sinful nature and what he did for us. That journey to the cross helps us get through those 40 days of whatever it is that we seem to be giving up or, or offering to God so that we can build space in our life. And today we're going to talk about laying down your fear, laying down our fear. Uh, to continue that series. I just want to remind everybody because it's been a while since we have plugged it, but we do have sermon notes available in the app. Those are a great way to stay engaged. Uh, we love doing those for you, and it's a great way also to reflect throughout the week on the sermon and where God may be taking you and what he may be revealing to you. So I want to invite you to use those. Once you open the app, they're the very first thing you'll see. So it's really easy to get to them. So I want to dig in just jump right into our scripture for the day. We're talking about Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4, 35 through 41. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So at this point in scripture, Jesus had just finished his uh, parables about the kingdom. Several of those parables we talked about in our fruitfulness series. And he had finished those up and he was ready to get out of there. We're going to go over to the other side of the sea. Now we don't really know why he wanted to leave, but we know he wanted to leave. So they hop in this boat. And just to give you some perspective on what this boat looked like. So this is an actual boat, they call it the Jesus boat, that they would have been on. Now this is a 2,000 year old boat, so it's not 100% accurate of what it looks like, but they did find this boat in the Sea of Galilee. Now we don't know if Jesus was really on it, but we do know that this was a boat that he would have been on. So this typical boat's about 27 feet long, 8 feet wide, and 4 feet shallow. So it's not very deep, not very deep at all. And as you can see here, this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee there on the left, and we call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's not really a sea. It's a lake. So you'll see here it's about 13 miles north to south, 7 miles east to west, and at its greatest depth it goes 157 feet. So this picture is one I actually took when I was in Israel-Palestine, and I had climbed to the top of Mount Arbel, which is where Jewish rebels hid from Herod. And it was really cool walking and hiking up that mountain because you could see the actual caves and where they had hidden from uh, Herod when they were trying to get away from him. Unfortunately, it didn't end well for those Jewish rebels. But the sea looks very calm on this day, but it wasn't. <laughs> we were actually supposed to go on a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and we didn't get to because the wind was so crazy. And they do that. They're very precautious because... The wind in this area can cause very violent storms very suddenly. And some of these storms can cause the waves to go 10 feet high. 
Now, when you think about being on a boat that's four feet deep, and you think about 10 feet waves, that's not quite the boat I'd want to be on to withstand a storm like that. So it's easy to sort of picture why the disciples would have been afraid during a storm like that, being on a boat built like that. But I want to talk about what also water meant to the disciples, because that will also help us understand a little more deeply why they were so afraid. Now, water for us has a beautiful, wonderful, good feeling because we think about baptism and we think about what the Spirit does for us when we receive that water on us by washing us white as snow and bringing us into the family of God and providing us that salvation and affirming that for us. But that would not have been the case for the disciples at this point because of everything they had sort of learned through the Old Testament. So we think about all the many stories, and here's just a few. We think about Jonah. Jonah was running away from God. He had been called to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to do that, so he jumps on a boat with some people, and God sends a storm. And Jonah knew that storm was sent because he was not following what God had wanted him to do. So much so, he said, you're going to have to throw me off the boat to get this storm to stop, to get it to calm down. And so the storm wasn't a good thing. The wind and the waves, that wasn't a good thing for Jonah. And then we think about the Israelites and the Red Sea. I love the Charlton Heston movie, you know, where they're walking through the water and it gives you this visual of these crazy walls. I can just think about how terrifying it was to be walking on that dry land with walls of water on either side of you, and then the Israelites make it over, they finally make it, and then they turn, the water crashes, and the Egyptians are in it. God used that water to take out the Egyptians for what they had done to the Israelite people. That had to be terrifying in itself. And then we think about Daniel's vision in chapter 7 where he talks about four monsters coming out of the sea. And that's just a few of the stories of how water was used in the Old Testament. And what water did for the Jewish people is remind them that bad things happen. Bad things are going to happen. So it makes sense why the disciples would have been pretty terrified on this boat being on water. The Jewish people didn't want much to do with water, except for the few fishermen that were bold and brave and did that. They left the water stuff up to other people. They weren't going to go there because all throughout their history, they have learned that there was darkness that lurked in the water, mystery that lurked in the water. And this also better helps us understand why the disciples were so astonished when they realized Jesus was sleeping, I mean, what do they say to him? Teacher, hello, we are about to die here. This water is about to eat us up, and you are sleeping. So we get this nice picture of their fear, their justified fear, we could say. They were fear-stricken. And I wonder, because of their fear of the water, if they weren't only afraid of the water, but they also had this deep fear that this man, who they now believed to be God, who they had seen perform all these miracles, whom they had given up everything to follow, now they realized didn't really care about them. That maybe there was this deep fear that everything they thought they knew wasn't true. You see, they had a fear of death and a fear of the water, but they also had a fear of rejection, 
a fear that they had made a bad judgment call, a fear that they had given up everything for no reason, a fear that they had gotten it all wrong. But they go to Jesus anyway, and they cry out to him for help out of their fear. And they even have the audacity to wake him up. And can we just take a moment to pause to appreciate the humanity of Jesus, that he's sleeping? I just love that. It just ties into what Tom introduced with his prayer, that Jesus, he calls us to rest. And he shows us he's asleep in the middle of the storm. He needed his rest. And so, friends, we need our rest, too, even in the middle of the storm. But that's a, that's a sidestep there that I had to take. But what fear does is fear makes us do crazy things. It really does. We can't think straight. We make impulsive decisions. Our bodies start to shake. Our blood pressure rises or it falls. Everything within us reacts when we have fear. And that's why I think this ripple effect of, for the disciples of having the fear of the water and having fear of the storm turned into, oh my gosh, now this guy that we think we knew isn't really who we thought we knew and everything he said really isn't true. And it just spiraled into more and more fear piled on to everything that it started off from just being fear of the storm. You say what fear does is it holds us back from true joy in Christ. It keeps us in our bondage, in our shame, in our weakness. It keeps us from trusting God fully, from moving forward, from staying still when that's what we need to do. It keeps us from becoming who we were created to be in and through Christ. It causes us to second-guess ourselves and to distrust God by second-guessing his abilities, and even his motives. Oh, he doesn't really love us. He doesn't really care about us. You see, what happens is fear overcomes our faith. Chris and I have had an intense lesson on fear these past few months. In early December, we discovered that our baby had some heart defects. And as we went to appointment after appointment after appointment, we understood that he had a syndrome. And the heart defects had caused his organs, his liver, spleen, and his stomach to develop on opposite sides. Now at first, we had no idea what this meant. We had no idea what this was gonna entail. And we had to wait five weeks for the cardiology appointment to tell us exactly what the extensiveness was of these heart defects. There were moments where we had to have the tough conversation of what does this look like if we are faced with three or four surgeries, which is sometimes the case with this syndrome. Or worse, what happens if we have to say goodbye before we even have the chance to say hello? There were moments in this time of waiting that we were just so struck with fear that we were paralyzed. There were moments where I couldn't even pray because I didn't have the words to pray. But I did, I did have gratefulness that I knew people were praying for us even when we couldn't. And it seemed in those extreme moments of my fear, Chris was somehow being faithful and strong. And in his moments of extreme fear, I was somehow able to be strong and faithful. Now we know after lots of appointments and several months of 
more exploratory things that we are in a very hopeful situation. His heart defects are still there, but his heart has found a way to function normally. And so we pray that even though there's still some unknown about his other organs, that because his heart's found a way to function normally, that his organs will too. But we still cover your prayers as we prepare for him in just a couple weeks. <laughs> it's right around the corner. But there has been a perk of all of this. And that's that we've had lots and lots of pictures of this sweet baby boy. We have pretty much said that there's, we have more pictures of him than we do of Collins, and she's two. <laughs> Which is really sad, you know, we just blame COVID for her stuff. <laughs> and it's not going to work. We know that's not going to work with her, but that's, that's where we're going to go. But in the midst of that fear, in the midst of going through that for, for Chris and myself, there's something we've learned, and this is, this is going to blow your mind. Laying down your fear is really hard to do. I know, that's not a really great lesson, but it's true. <laughs> it's really hard to do. It's a hard step because I think when we have fear, when we have something, when we feel something, it feels like control. It feels like we're able to hold on to it and we get some stability or we have some, you know, we're making some progress because we have something going on in our bodies that we can feel. But something else I've learned is that laying down isn't the hardest part. It's not laying down our fear that's the hardest part. It's leaving it there once we lay it down. I can tell you not only from this situation, but other situations, how many times I've laid fear down only to pick it back up seconds, seconds after giving it to God and then having to give it back. Oh, God, I did it again. And he's like, I know, give it back. Just give it back. Jesus said to his disciples, peace, or he said to the wind and the sea, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And the wind listened. The sea listened. And he rebuked it. He rebuked it. But he wasn't only saying that to the wind and the sea that day. He was saying it to the disciples. And he's saying it to me and to you right now. And the reason he rebukes it is because he knows fear is a way the enemy is going to attack us. The enemy is going to use that to keep us from fully trusting God and allowing God to be who God is in our lives. And he wants us to know that if we have fear, that is not something he has given us. That is something that the enemy is giving us. Unfortunately, we aren't nearly as obedient as the wind and the sea were. We'll keep holding on to that fear, allowing life, allowing world events, disagreements, pain, and grief, and uncertainty to continue to control us. And we need to ask, are we coming to God in fear or in faith? Jesus questioned the disciples just as he questions us. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, Jesus wasn't disappointed that the disciples came to him to ask for help. That He wants us to do that. He wants us to bring all of our stuff to his feet and lay it there. He invites us into that so that he can take that away from us and we can live freely. He was disappointed with how they ask for the help. They didn't wake him up with hope or with faith that he was going to handle the storm or that he could handle the storm. 
They woke him up out of fear that he wouldn't, that he couldn't, or worse, that he just didn't care. Their fear overrode their faith, and they, over, and they doubted God. And they forgot the power that they had been give, given through God, the power to trust him, to remain calm and steadfast in scary situations, to claim power over it, and with faith to proclaim God as their rock. Jesus was sleeping. That should have been their first sign that they didn't have anything to worry about. But instead, they grew frustrated with him. And it sounds harsh when Jesus questions them. You still have no faith. But friends, he said it to me. He said it to all of us over and over again. And he says it out of love, though, to say, after all I've done, after the love I have given you and shown you with the cross and with the resurrection and through just being there with you through the Holy Spirit, we still allow our fear to overcome our faith in who he is and in what he promises us. Life is going to happen. The storms are going to rage. Fear is going to visit. No doubt about that. We will have it in our lives. Grief's going to hit. Pain is going to creep up. You're going to experience illness and loss, financial stress, uncertainty, instability, war, inflation, injustice, oppression, evil, and spiritual warfare. But the question is, how will we live in the midst of it? In fear? Shrinking back? Allowing ourselves to become paralyzed and crippled? Unable to move forward by trusting God? Or standing still waiting for God to move? Or will we lay that fear down and surrender to God and instead live in faith.